glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Matthew chapter 5. Let's just go ahead and read from verse 1 down through verse 7. Remind us of some of the ones we've already looked at. Uh, it says in verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I want you, not out loud, to ask yourself, would those who know you best, especially the Lord, consider you or characterize you as a merciful person? I'll say this. There's a lot of personal application. The message is going to be given today. We're going to go to a text. I did some checking back. It was in this text back, I believe, in November. Same account. We're looking at it from a very different perspective this morning. Um, but the idea of being merciful here carries the idea of being compassionate, okay? Being compassionate. If you read Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan, that account, that parable is a picture of compassion or being merciful. And anytime we take a text of Scripture and have to, for we preach it, have to preach it, it's our duty to be honest with the Word of God. So you look at this, blessed are the merciful, and if you read it on its face, it can sound like, well, you earn God's mercy by being a merciful person. That's not really what it's saying. Because if you were to read in Luke chapter 6, verses 35 through 36, the context there says, Be therefore merciful as your Father which is in heaven is merciful. Meaning, you cannot give something you've never received. If you've never received the mercy of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to have no comprehension of mercy. And we'll deal with that this morning in Acts chapter 16. There was a man in Acts 16, the Apostle Paul who was a merciful man. We see him exercising mercy with a Philippian jailer. But the reason Paul could do that is he knew what mercy was. Even here in Matthew 5, when Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, he's talking to his disciples, men who should know uh, what mercy is, and people who are following him should know what mercy is. But having said all that, I look back, and I don't, I don't think it's prudent right now to constantly be talking about 2020 and the year that it was and all this... But I would say this, one of the things I think I know that could be the net result of a crazy year like last year is hardening of the heart. Hardening of the heart. You know what, we, 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 we can look around us, if you flip the news on, it's not very wise to do that for very long. That's just the truth of it. You flip the news on, all you hear is how rotten people are, and it's true. People are rotten. We're as rotten as we've ever been. But what can happen is, as you begin to be the recipient of the evil of other people, the Bible said, Jesus said in Matthew 24, uh, because iniquity shall abound, what's the net result? The love of many shall wax cold. Being merciful is the opposite of having a cold heart. But if we're not careful, that's what happens. We let our circumstances, and please hear what I'm about to say, we let our circumstances influence us more than we let God influence us. The only way to let God influence you more than your circumstances is, number one, He has to be present in your life. You have to be born again. If you've never 
listen to Jesus Christ as, as through His Word He persuades you that without Him you are going to perish and that you need Him to save you and give you life. If you've never had the Spirit of God speak to your heart to the point where you know that it's the Word of God and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's step number one. You can't listen to God if He's not dwelling in your heart by faith. If He is, however, how many of us know that the Spirit of God can be inside of you and you can still be more influenced by your surroundings than you are by the Spirit of God? Absolutely. And here's how... When whichever one we're paying the closest attention to is the one's going to influence us the most. So I think part of the heart of the, this message this morning, a great deal of it, is to remind us, it's what Christ is telling us, I want you to be merciful. Now remember what mercy is. Mercy is withholding from someone what they justly deserve. I want you, we're going to Acts 16 now, and I want you to think from that standpoint. I, I don't know that this text really can be over-exhausted when it comes to how it applies to us and how you and I should respond to the world around us. And again, uh, we're coming to Acts 16 today. It's a great missions chapter. So if we wanted to preach on going into all the world, if we wanted to preach a message on responding to our circumstances, it's great. But I really want our focus today to be on the Apostle Paul and how he responded personally to the jailer. And that's going to teach us something about how you and I are supposed to respond to people in our lives. How many of you have sought to give someone the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the response was less than friendly? Absolutely. If you've tried more than once, you've probably had a less than friendly response. Now, I understand that the Lord Jesus, when he sent out the 70, sent them out by twos, and he said, if they won't receive you into the houses, shake the dust and go on. That was not an act of vengeance. It was, don't waste your time, go on to somewhere else. But there's a tendency in me, when someone treats me ill for trying to give them the gospel, then, man, I'm done with you. Right? No, it's just me. I'm I'm the only one. (laughs) It gets personal, right? The Apostle Paul, I want you to, I think sometimes we read through these, and because... Uh, especially many in this room this morning, you already are familiar, many of you, with the Bible enough that you already know how Acts 16 ends with Paul and Silas in jail and, and we hear that song, God wants to hear you sing and we know that this is how we're supposed to respond to sing and pray. And, and, and to be honest with you, if, if we skim through that, I think we miss something that I think sometimes we can look back at God's people as it's recorded in the Bible and think, man, they were just... You know, it was easy for them that, that that being godly and responding like they're supposed to was somehow easier for them, that life wasn't as real and challenging and that they didn't have a flesh in the world to deal with. But all that's there. They overcame it by faith. That's the difference. And if we, if we look back on the record of Christians in the New Testament and we think of them like superhero Christians, that lets me and you off of the hook for being what we're supposed to be. Well, that was the Apostle Paul. I guarantee if Paul could be here preaching to you today, he'd say, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. I'm not a superhero Christian. I just know what Christ did for me, what he called me to do, and I want to be faithful. He wasn't a superhero. He was faithful. But you know what superheroes are. There's something you and I never can be, so we don't have to worry about it. We just admire them instead of following their example. But here, I believe Paul is in the Bible, in the account of he and Silas, as an example of what it means to be merciful what it means to be merciful, and so that's where our focus will be. So let's go ahead to Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. And it came to pass as he went, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, 
which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Let me just pause right here and say, Man, wouldn't you like somebody to follow you around and say that about you? These are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. What She was telling the truth. We've, we've seen this text many times. She's telling the truth. But you understand it's a problem. I thought of an illustration yesterday to illustrate what's going on here with the little damsel. Let's give it to you real quick. Let's say you went into a Chevrolet lot to buy a new Chevrolet car or pickup truck, and you're on the showroom floor, and you got a salesman that walks up. And while you're standing there, another guy walks up here, and he's in a uniform. And it's, I don't mean a police officer's uniform. It's, it's gray pants and a gray shirt, and it says Ford right here and Mastercraft right here. You're in the GMC Chevrolet dealership. And he walks up and he listens to the salesman try to sell you on a Chevrolet. And he says, you know, you better listen to what he's saying to you. Everything he's telling you is just spot on. And every time the guy tries to talk, he interrupts him and says, boy, these Chevrolet salesmen, they sure know what they're doing. Would that cause a little confusion? Why is a Ford guy here trying to butter up the Chevrolet salesman? Because he doesn't want you to buy Chevrolet. (laughs) The little maid here is a servant of the devil. Everybody knows it. And yet she's telling the truth. That doesn't make a lick of sense, does it? And what it was doing was disrupting and discrediting the gospel. Satan is busy. He is clever. He is so clever. If I were going to disrupt and discredit, I would say, these guys are liars. Don't listen to them. But everybody already knew you shouldn't listen to her anyway, so she told the truth, and that discredited the truth. We move on. That's a a free note, all right? Uh, The Bible says in verse 18, And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her, and he came out the same hour, and they all lived happily ever after. There's a pattern in Scripture, if you'll follow. You remember the story of the Gadarene? Now, the Gadarene was a man who cut himself. He ran around without his clothes. He lived in the tombs. He had had to be a terror to his community. No doubt about it. And he had a partner. The Bible says there's two of them. We don't know much about the second one, but the Gadarene... When Jesus showed up, he cast the demons out of him into a herd of swine that ran over the hill. You would have thought the community would have come to Jesus and said, thank you so much for changing our worst citizen into our best one. But what was the response to Jesus? We want you out of here now. Leave. Why? Do you remember why? How, many, how much is 2,000 pigs worth? They were more concerned about dollars than they were about souls. The same thing was going on right here in Acts chapter 16. You see, if you wonder why the world doesn't get happy, you know, around here, if you talk an old dirty sinner who's been living out in the cesspool of sin, and we get them in here under the sound of the gospel, and they heard about Jesus Christ, and God changed them from a drug addict into some kind of a godly person, all of us who are saved would say, praise God. The world would say, man, we lost a number one salesman. We lost a number one buyer. They wouldn't rejoice that that guy's not going to end up dead on the side of the road. They don't care. They lost money. You see, the God of this world makes money the God. (laughs) And the fact of the matter is here in Acts 16, instead of everyone saying, praise God, a little girl's life just got rescued. No, no, her owner's just lost a bunch of money. If she doesn't have the demons inside of her, she can't perform magical things anymore. So verse 19, and when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone... They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. 
And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, here's what he does, the jailer does, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. We'll pick up in verse 25 in a moment. Just let me make, let me make some application. The Bible is a living book and it's very applicable. Do you understand what these men just did? The real reason they're upset is they lo- they're losing money. They were using a little girl to make money. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard of? There are people today that use vulnerable people for their own personal gain. And then when that got busted, you know what they did? They started using the race card to say, these Jews are coming in here messing things up. They knew exactly how to divide a town and get their agenda. They were liars and cheaters. There's nothing new under the sun. And listen to me now. For those of you who are here this morning, you know you're born again. If you're going to go out into a lost world and take the gospel, it's a battlefield. It's not a playground. Satan has turf and territory that he doesn't want to surrender because he's using people and those who belong to Satan are using people and they don't want to lose their assets. We did not rid the world of slavery in 1865. Newsflash, Satan still has people enslaved today. And it's the gospel that gives true freedom and our enemy doesn't take it lying down. But here's Paul. He's been called to go into Philippi, preach the gospel. He's had a good reception. Lydia and her bunch got saved. Now he's out. And this issue comes up. And here's what happens. They said, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. And everybody believed it, ripped their clothes off, beat them. The magistrates, the authorities take them in, said, look, they're going to mess up our Roman culture. Does that sound new? These Christians are going to destroy our culture of freedom. People ought to be free to do whatever they want. And these Christians, these, these Bible thumpers, they just want to make you, they want to mess up what is, we have a life that we enjoy. And if you listen to what the Bible thumpers say, man, they're going to ruin your life and mess up your lifestyle. It will change your lifestyle, but you'll be glad. I just want to show you there's nothing new. Everything is being used today. Let's divide this thing by race and false accusation. What was the real reason? Love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. You trace any sin that is being peddled on our streets, any of it, and it all goes back to somebody making money. It's truth. It's truth. So here's Paul. So what you do, I asked you at the beginning of the chapter, put yourself in Paul's shoes and Silas's shoes. You've come into town with the purest intention. You want to see people unshackled from their sin, whether it's the little girl possessed of a devil or this woman who's still living under the law named Lydia. She's doing what she knows to do, doesn't know that Christ has fulfilled the law for her. She's still living under the bondage of the law. She gets to hear the gospel and released from that and knows that now she is forever justified, not by her works, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Or whoever else it may be, Paul's intent is as pure as the driven snow And in the middle of doing exactly what God tells he and Silas to do, they are beaten and stripped under false accusation. This is when it gets hard to be merciful. It's not hard to be merciful to Lydia. She's a seller of purple. She's a good citizen. She welcomes you with open arms and invites you to stay in her house. That's not hard to be merciful. But these people beat you with false accusation throw you into prison, and just so we understand, the jailer was not this innocent guy who said, well, if i got to keep him, I will. They said, you keep these guys, and he thrust them, 
with having been beaten into the inner prison and put them in stocks. If you've been beaten, being put in stocks doesn't feel good. So the jailer is part of their abuse, all because they had obeyed God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You're in a body of flesh just like I am. When I do right and things go well, like, for instance, you go and preach and Lydia gets saved, look, God blesses his work. But what about when you do right and all things go bad? Then all of a sudden is, why are we doing this? If you're not careful, you get hard-hearted. I serve God and I get beat for it. I obey God and I tell people that the Lord loves them and I go to jail for it. I get accused of being wicked when I'm doing right. I mean, that's, that's the payoff. I tell you what, if you're going to live by principle, you have to live by principle. If it's right to be merciful when you're being treated well, it's right to be merciful when you're not. In fact, it's not really mercy until someone has treated you badly and you have the opportunity to do them good. So with our focus there, now they're in jail, back down to verse 25. Bible says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas complained. No. Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. We'll say more about that in a minute. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he sat meat before, set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And again, if I've, if I've preached this text once, I've preached it many times, and you've probably heard it many times, many of you. But I want us, again, I want us to step into the shoes of the Apostle Paul. When someone is faithful at doing what's right, you know what you expect them to do? What's right? I think we take it for granted. Well, of course Paul's going to say, do thyself no harm. He's the beloved missionary. But how many know he had to make a decision, he and Silas? Life is about decisions. I wonder how many more people we might be able to effectively influence to believe the gospel if we simply conducted our lives according to the principles of our Savior and His commands. See, the Lord Jesus Christ said when we're persecuted, we are to rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now, I promise you that's not the impulse of the flesh. When things go awry, we'll be, we'll be getting to that Matthew chapter 5 at the conclusion of those Beatitudes that when, we're, when we are falsely accused for His namesake, we're supposed to rejoice. And be exceeding glad, for great is our reward in heaven. That's not our impulse, but that's what we're supposed to do. The Apostle Paul here and Silas are men living by faith. They were on point. They had a singular mission. Their mission was not to establish uh, a new lodging in Philippi. They weren't coming to be uh, real estate agents. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But the Apostle Paul and Silas, they had one mission. That was to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And for them, that was to be preachers. Now, not everybody's called to preach, but these men were. And so then, if there was beating in the line of duty, you still do what you're called to do. And they had made a decision, I believe, before they ever got in jail, we're going to respond the way we're supposed to to the people who don't respond to us the way that they should. 
I'm just going to say this. One of the things that has squelched, and I didn't intend this necessarily to be a missions message, but one of the things that has squelched evangelism and bold evangelism is our fear of retribution. Well, it's, that's a realistic fear because it's going to happen. But what we'll say is evangelism, the way we're doing it, it doesn't work because people aren't responding right. Tell that to Paul. They didn't respond right to him either. What happens is when they don't respond right to me, then I'm going to be angry at them. And God says, no, you need to be merciful. So in this, I believe we can see a tremendous picture of what it means as a sinner saved by grace to be a merciful person in the decision that Paul and Silas made in a moment when they could have done something else, they chose to be merciful. How many of us are naive enough to think that there were never any thoughts of any kind of vengeance or retribution that passed through the mind of Paul or Silas? You think it never did? We have one account of Paul when he's being judged by the high priest. He said, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. They said, revilest thou the high priest? He said, I didn't perceive he was. It's almost You almost get the idea... I spoke before I should have, and he apologized. You read the end of the book of Acts. Paul was flesh like you and I, but he was a man in the body of flesh under the rule of the Holy Spirit of God. Here's what I want us to see. I'm going to give you just a few points about this that bring us to the final point of them exercising and showing mercy. We've seen their difficulty. If you're keeping notes, that starts the chapter that our reading here starts with difficulty. Things had gone well, but they come under false accusation, and then they are afflicted purposely and intentionally for, for seeing someone saved. Someone saved out of the clutches of Satan's power. The owners of the little girl afflict them. So we read all about that, but it begins with difficulty. If I want a Christian life that doesn't include difficulty, that's impossible. Jesus said that if we're going to follow him, we must take up our cross daily and follow him. Here's the thing. Any difficulty I have here on earth for my relation to him is worth it all. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is worth the trouble? Now, I understand our loyalty to him does not save us. It's his loyalty to us that saves us. But if he is so loyal to my salvation that he left heaven, was crucified in my place, shed his blood because of my sins, not look, here's what happened. We, as humans, have stirred up the wrath of God, and Jesus took it in our place. He didn't stir up the wrath of God. We did. And on the cross, he, was, he, he, would, he took the chastisement of our peace upon himself. He finished his work on the cross. He said, it is finished. He came and perfectly fulfilled every demand that God makes of mankind as our substitute. They buried him. Three days later, he raised from the dead. If Jesus Christ did that for me, can I not serve him for a little while until he calls me home? But the least little bit of difficulty attached to obedience to Christ, and often we back out. Serving Jesus is too hard. We looked on Thursday night that this is the love of God that you keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. I mean, they're not heavy. Christ is He's not an overbearing Lord. He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my oak upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. I think for the Apostle Paul... Taking a beating for Christ wasn't so much because he knew what Christ had done for him. I'll get to that in a moment. But the fact of the matter is, he he and Silas are going through difficulty of false accusation and persecution and affliction. But then in their difficulty, we begin to see their distinction. You've heard this many times. You've heard it preached many times. But the fact of the matter is, the lost world is not watching us while things are going well. 
They watch us when things are not. I fear after 2020, they're sorely disappointed that we must have a dead Savior. Because many a Christian responded 2020 just like the lost did. I'm unhappy things aren't going my way. Life is stupid and horrible. And there's a lot of evil things took place in 2020, no doubt. Some of it out of people's control. Some of it in people's control. Some things we'll never know till we get to heaven. But what happened is our lives were disrupted, and that's not fun for any of us. But I believe even now we have a decision to make as to how we respond to things not going the way we want them to. How many of you could lift your hand right now and say, life is just going exactly the way I want it to? Of course not. Of course not. If it is, something's probably not right. <laughs> or enjoy it for the moment. But the fact is, life is life. And, but in the service of God, life is more than life. In the service of God, when we obey the Lord, there's opposition because we are in enemy territory. And if we don't have the right attitude toward the people who... Look, Satan's not going to come in visible form and say, I'm here to heckle you. He has people. He uses people. And here he used some money-loving, wicked men who were using a little girl for their own advantage, and he used a jailer who just wanted to do his job well. He didn't care why they were in there. I'm going to make you miserable. I'm going to make sure you can't move. And that jailer made their life miserable. But the distinction is found in this. In the midst of their difficulty, we find calmness in them. Calmness. Look at, look at verse 24. Excuse me, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. And I know we can talk about the praying and the singing praises, and we shout just a little bit, but what I want you to see is these men are in full control of their faculties. i got news for you. If you just stripped my clothes off of me, beat me, and threw me into jail, I'm just being frank with you. I've never had that happen to me, and I'm very concerned that I would not be like they are. I want to be. Hey, Pastor, are you telling me you wouldn't respond properly to persecution? I really, really want to, but I, the last time I got beat... Honestly, have you ever been beaten for preaching the gospel? You know what? In our age, the slightest, and bear with me for just a minute, the slightest disagreement with us, well, we better change our methods. People are getting upset. I think they were upset. You reckon? So Paul said, look, Silas, we've done something wrong, buddy. We, we really got this backwards. I think what we need to do is change our methods. We've got we've to befriend them first and then get them to like us, and then we can give them the gospel. I'm all for being friendly to people. Don't misunderstand me. But you know this. You're going to preach the gospel, souls are going to be saved, and it's going to stir up the enemy. And in the midst of difficulty, instead of saying, well, I thought serving God paid, Paul might have said, well, I thought Jesus said, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We were merciful as Jews, leaving our homeland, coming to these Gentiles to preach the gospel to them, and are we giving mercy? <laughs> could have, he could have questioned the word of God, could he not? But instead, they knew that God is always faithful. They know that whether they've been beaten and sitting in jail or not, God is faithful, and they were in the will of God. And so they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray. We're going to communicate with God. We need to hear from Him. We're going to sing praise. You find them calm. When the Bible says, be careful for nothing, He means that. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I believe the reason they were calm is because they were content. I think the ladies heard about that in Sunday school this morning. There was a calmness because there was contentment, something most Americans know absolutely nothing about, contentment. But the Bible says godliness with 
contentment is great gain. If you're here this morning living a life that is pleasing to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and you're content in that life, you are the wealthiest person in the room. I don't care if you have 50 cents in your bank account. If you are godly, by the way, you can't be content outside of godliness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know why I believe Paul was singing and praying and why Silas was? They were content to be doing what God told them to do. They had the absolute assurance in their heart, we are suffering but not for wrongdoing. We are suffering for doing what's right. And therefore, there's contentment in that. And so then there was calmness, there was contentment because there was confidence. I wonder how confident we are in our God today. You see, and I say this so often, but it must need to be said often because the Spirit of God leads this way. We cannot be pragmatic as Christians. We can't say, somebody will say something like this, you ought to become a Christian because it's the, it's the happiest life you can live. Our quote in the bulletin says, happiness is not the end of man, holiness is. Amen. God made man upright and he sought out many inventions. So what happens is we say, well, I'm glad I'm a Christian because since becoming a Christian, I got a better job and a better house and I got a good marriage and I have this and I have this and I have this. And so see, the Bible's right because look how happy I am. Huh? Well, Paul didn't have a house. At this moment, Paul didn't even have his clothes. And how in the world can he sing? He's in fellowship with God. He has confidence that I know that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I'm suffering right now, not for doing wrong, but for doing right. And I know that pleases my Savior. There was confidence in God. The Bible still says in Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. There's a great statement when the three Hebrew children were being told they had to bow to an idol. We all know that would be sin. Had they been pragmatic, they would have said, well, we won't bow our our heart, we'll bow our knee. That'll save our neck, but God knows the heart. Remember, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. So we'll bow the knee, that's just the outward appearance. God knows in my heart I'm not bowing. A lot of people today are conforming, living just like the world outwardly, so the world doesn't mock, make fun, ridicule you. Doing the same things the world does and say, well, God knows in my heart I still love him. Even though I'm doing things to please them instead of him, God knows I still love him. Ah, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) It's not the way it goes. The three Hebrew children said, we're not going to bow because God said not to bow. We're not even going to give the appearance that we're bowing. We're going to stand while everybody else bows. And they said to the king, you know what, king? Our God is able to deliver us, but if not, meaning if he lets us burn, he's still right. You see, our confidence in God is not based on our circumstances. It's based on his credibility. God has a few thousand years of history of faithfulness with man. He's never done anybody wrong yet. He didn't do Adam wrong. He didn't do Noah wrong. He didn't do Abraham wrong. He didn't do Isaac wrong. He didn't do Jacob wrong. God didn't even do Job wrong. God did him right. Amen? I think a few thousand years of treating people in a righteous, holy, loving manner ought to be enough that we can say we can trust him. He loves us so much he sent his son to die for us. But the fact is... These men, Paul and Silas, were calm and contented because they knew God had put them where they were and if they were suffering in the will of God, they could be happy there. Can you have joy and suffering at the same moment? Oh, absolutely. When you're suffering for the right reason, you can rejoice. And so Paul and Silas were. It's when we're suffering for evil that our joy is gone. These men were distinct. (laughs) Do you think this jailer had anybody like this before? 
people that had been beaten, the clothes stripped, thrown in prison, and were singing praises to God? Look at I praise God when he gave me a pay raise. I praise God when I got good health. I praise God when the building is nice and cool. I can praise God when we're getting rain. Can I praise God when we're not? God's still good all the time. My circumstances do not determine the goodness of God. He's good, period. The fact he sent his son in our place is enough. He need do nothing else to prove to us his goodness and his kindness. And so the apostle Paul and Silas are there calm, contented, because they're confident in the Lord. They knew they were doing what God wanted them to do, and therefore their circumstances did not change the character of God. It gave them an opportunity to show how good God was by praising him, not in the easy time, but in the difficult. Then they made a decision, verse 26, so verse 25, and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. This is really the heart of this message, so don't lose me yet. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loose. Let's stop reading right there. We're back in Paul and Silas' shoes. You've just done what is right. Instead of murmuring against God for letting you get in trouble, instead of complaining about your being without your clothes and beaten, you're going to sing and sing praises to God and pray. Then an earthquake happens. How would you, now maybe you're not like me, how would you interpret the earthquake that rattles your, your bonds loose and the doors are open? How would you interpret that? When you hear the chink, the sword come out, You know how I would interpret it? I'm just talking about from a human standpoint. God is taking vengeance on my enemies for me. They beat me, uncondemned, falsely accused me, ripped my clothes off, beat my back, and now my master is letting them have it. I'm going to walk out here free and let them lay dead. Preacher, I can't believe you'd think that way. Well, maybe you don't. But without the aid of the Holy Spirit of God, that's exactly where I would be. Why else would God let your bonds fall off if it's not to let you get out of jail? Why else would he open the doors? Why else would he let this man lose it? How many of you know what happens to the prisoner if he loses his prisoners? Read Acts chapter 12. According to Roman law, you lost your head. You lose your prisoners, you lose your head. And you know what I would think? Ha, I've got God. Look, at we sang in praise and now God is taking care of me. You know why we think that way? Because we think we're the center of the universe. But you know what? Let's let's think this through. The Apostle Paul had been at one point in time Saul of Tarsus. He had been responsible for putting stripes on people's backs for the same reason he received them. He had been responsible for hailing men and women into prison for the gospel. He had been playing on the other team. He knew what it was like to be on the other side. He knew what it was like to hate the gospel. He knew what it was like to be under the conviction of a righteous God showing you that you're condemned and need a Savior and wanting to silence the mouths of preachers. Paul knew what it was like. He had been one of those zealots in his past life. And he knew what it was about to receive mercy. I ask you something. On the Damascus Road, if you were Jesus Christ... And a man named Saul was killing your servants and persecuting you and you had the power to snuff him out like that. What would you do? You know what our Savior did? Showed him mercy. He had the power to to take Saul's life, cast him into an eternity of hell, but instead he intervened in his life, showed him who he was, gave him the truth, and saved his soul, pardoned him from an eternity in the lake of fire. 
I think that Paul must have remembered that as he's sitting there with stripes on his back. I wonder, I just wonder if he thought, man, I used to be the one giving the stripes. I know what it's like to be on the other side. You know, if you've received mercy, you're a lot more prone to give it. In fact, you can't give it if you've never received it. I said that at the beginning of the message. So here's Paul and Silas. They have a decision to make. The bonds have fallen off. They're loose. The doors are open. They can walk out anytime they want. We might think, well, it was just automatic. They're going to stay because they knew the guy would get saved. How many of you know that you know, Paul could see the future and know how the jailer would respond? I, I, he doesn't. Even if he says, do thyself no harm, what makes him think that the jailer's not going to come right back, slap the shackles back on and say, whew, I saved my job. Boys, you're going back to jail. Does he know that the, that the guy's going to say, what must I do to be saved? No. All he knows is I have received mercy and I'm going to give it. Let me ask you something. Did the Philippian jailer deserve a chance to be saved? No. Do you and I? No. God doesn't owe us that. He does so because he's merciful. God gives us an opportunity to have our sins forgiven, not because we've earned it, but because he's good. And the Apostle Paul had walked with the Savior long enough. He was like him. And given the opportunity to have personal freedom, and I, don't miss this one, personal vindication, he could have walked out and thought, he got what he had coming, didn't he? If he didn't want to end up in a suicide death, he should have never treated God's servants that way. Hmm? Am I the only person that can relate with what I'm talking about? But instead, Paul said, I'm going to be merciful. He had to hear a shink and say, Hey, do thyself no harm. He didn't even have to say that, did he? We say silence is golden. Sometimes it's yellow. The Bible says when they sang and they prayed, the prisoners what? Heard them. Is our love and our devotion and our faith in God loud enough for people to hear? The Bible talks about singing, for instance, loudly. Meaning... The world, let your light so what? Shine before men. The Apostle Paul and Silas said, look, we're here to represent Christ. So we're going to make sure everybody knows who we represent. And they made sure everybody heard we have a good God. Even though in His service we've been beaten. Even though in His service we've been falsely accused. Even though we've been treated ill by the enemy. God is still good and we want people to know that our Savior is worthy. And then this man's about to kill himself and Paul says, Hey, do thyself no harm. I believe all that he had to do to let that prisoner in his own life is do nothing. Never in my life have I been so impressed to preach against mediocrity, indifference, and inaction. We're living in an age of people who are doing nothing. We have an opportunity to tell some lost sinner, do thyself no harm, God can save you. But we're only too happy to see harm done because of the harm they've done. That's what they deserve. Well, what about if we got what we deserve? If Paul's sitting there entertaining, well, if he kills himself, it's what he gets. You know what Paul would have to think? Then what should I get? Because if he gets, if he should die because he's imprisoned us, how many did I imprison? So then they make a decision. A decision based on the experience that they had with God's mercy. Very quickly, we'll wrap up here shortly. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. You see, I believe one of the reasons some are not merciful, they don't know what mercy is all about. 
See, pride says that eternal life and forgiveness of sins is a reward. I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. Therefore, I've been good enough. God should be happy with me and welcome me into heaven. He should welcome me into his family, into his kingdom, and into his eternal abode in heaven because I've been a pretty good person. I think I've probably earned me a spot. Anybody with that mentality is going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. However, the person who understands mercy says, I am pleading with God to pardon me for my offenses against him. He is absolutely justified in being angry with me. He is absolutely justified in having condemned me. But I know he's good and I know he's merciful and I'm going to ask him for forgiveness. Is that not what the Ninevites did? The Ninevites were told, yet 40 days and you'll be destroyed. I wonder what America would say if we were told 40 days and we'll be destroyed. (laughs) Not us. We're the greatest nation on the face of planet Earth. 40 days you'll be destroyed. Why? What have we done? What's wrong with us? If God's going to destroy anybody, he ought to destroy those Muslim countries, not America. 40 days you're going to be destroyed. Why? We don't do anything worthy of God's wrath if there is a God. Isn't that the general attitude? Nineveh said, we understand why God would destroy us in 40 days. They turned from their violence and their wickedness and pleaded with God, be merciful. If God told you today, and we can't preach to you for just a moment more, if God told you today, in 40 days, your life is done, and I'm going to give you what you've got coming, what would you expect? I would expect laud and honor. It's time for revival then, friend. Unless you're resting in the merit of Jesus Christ, you can expect nothing but condemnation because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death for some. No, no, for all. You know what Paul understood? He understood he was standing there as a preacher and a servant of Jesus Christ for one reason. God had been merciful to him. He said, God did not give me what I deserved. And therefore, I'm not going to go around taking vengeance, giving others what they deserve. I'm going to be merciful. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. If you look at verse 14, the Bible says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. I love this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Aren't you glad for that? Christ Jesus came into the world for what purpose? To save sinners. And Paul said, of whom I, doesn't say was. You notice it's not in the past tense. Now Paul understood he was pardoned, that he was a child of God, and he was a saint and a servant. But he said, when it comes to my record with God, I am chief of sinners. I persecuted Jesus Christ's church. I preached against the gospel. So he says, against uh, of whom I am chief. Then verse 16, how be it, how be it. For this cause I obtained what? Mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. I wonder if we were in the shoes of Paul and Silas today with a culture treating us evil while we're trying to do right, if we would say, you know what? That's how they treated my Lord, and he did nothing wrong. And if it weren't for the mercy of God, I would be one of them railing against the things of God. Some of you remember when you did. Some of you remember when you mocked Christians, when you mocked Bible believers, when you mocked people. Some may still. 
My point is this. The Apostle Paul had experienced the mercy of God. And he said, and God did that that I might show it forth. So he's sitting in a prison with an opportunity to either be vengeful or merciful. How many of us would fault the Apostle Paul if he just didn't say anything and let the jailer go ahead and finish business? We'd say, I understand that. (laughs) I mean, Paul didn't kill him, right? Just let him kill himself. The Bible says, If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain, if thou say, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that ponder the heart consider it? And shall he not render to every man according to his works? Today, I believe we, and maybe, look, if I'm just preaching to me, I'm okay with that. But we stand in danger of having bitterness and hatred toward a world that hates us. We stand in danger of returning evil with evil instead of evil with good. Say, they don't deserve it. Neither did we. Does the lost world out there who slam doors in your face and call names deserve another opportunity to hear the gospel? Did we? No. You see, if we've obtained mercy, if we've received mercy, we know how to give mercy. And the Bible says, and if you are merciful, you'll obtain mercy. It's a cycle. It's a, it's a, re, a returning circle. Because here's what happened. Paul said, you know what? And Silas, we're going to be merciful to this man. We could be quiet and let him do himself in, but we have the opportunity to withhold from him what he deserves. Yes, he deserves to die. Yes, he deserves to go to hell, but we can make a difference. They said, do thyself no harm. They extend the mercy of God at their own personal expense. You know what would have happened? Let's just play this through and we're about done. If they had let the jailer kill himself, what would have happened to them and everybody else? They would have gotten up and walked out and went on with their merry life and let the the, the city of Philippi deal with all the fallout from what happened. They could have really taken some vengeance. You let that many prisoners loose, you can go take over the town probably. (laughs) I don't know what the outcome would have been, but he could have just done nothing, gotten a little vengeance, felt a little better, felt a little more justified, and ended his ministry just like that. But instead, he was merciful. And the Bible says there were dividends. We've seen he had difficulty. There was a, distinctive, a distinction in their response. They made a decision to extend mercy based on their experience of mercy at their own expense. And then there were dividends that came. Verse 33, the Bible says, let's back up just a little bit. Uh, the Bible says in verse uh, 28, But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Boy, when you find this question in the Bible, pay close attention because the answer is coming. And they said, Keep the Ten Commandments, do the best you can, love your neighbor, try to be good, be merciful to others, and hopefully, by, by the way, get baptized, and hopefully that'll be enough. Nope. That's not what the Holy Spirit of God said through Paul and Silas. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, now shalt be saved. Shouldn't there be more than that? That's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know he's not asking for his personal physical life to be saved. That's done. He's asking about his soul. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thine house. Meaning what we're preaching to you is good for everybody in your household too. I'll just throw this in. They weren't Calvinists. They didn't say, well, if everybody in your house is elect, they can too. Obviously, you're elect to salvation. Maybe they are too. No, they said, look, the gospel works for anybody that will believe it. You and your entire house, you get saved and you go tell your family. So he says in verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night. What does he do? Washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. You reckon he went and washed the stripes of all the prisoners? 
I don't reckon. Why these guys? Because they showed him mercy. <laughs> His life was in the hands of the Apostle Paul and, and Silas, and they showed mercy. May I say this today, especially to the members of Bonnerstree Baptist Church. We're not going to go out these doors today and go tell some sinner, do thyself no harm because they have earned it. We're going to do it because we've received the same mercy. Somebody told us. Amen? Somebody told us when we were deserving of hell, you don't have to go. Christ took your place. You don't have to go. Christ took your place. Maybe you're here this morning and say, this is foreign to me. I, I doubt it is. It seems like a pretty biblically literate bunch. But say, that's foreign to me. I cannot say I am sure that God has extended mercy to me. It's as simple as calling on the Lord Jesus Christ. He lives to save. That's the word of God. Amen? But we may be here this morning. I believe this is the heart of this message. Our love may have waxed cold because iniquity abounds. How many think that Paul and Silas were in the midst of abundant iniquity? You ain't kidding. Did they let that rob them of being merciful? I believe this. God still wants you and I to win souls for Christ. But if we're going to, we've got to get rid of our hard hearts. We've got to realize, yes, we may be treated ill. We may be treated evil. But we don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with, you don't, with good. You don't overcome vengeance with vengeance. You overcome vengeance with mercy. Isn't that what God did? Man is vengeful toward God. And God says, I have the power to wipe you out, but instead I'm going to offer you forgiveness. That's powerful, friend. Now, aren't we supposed to do the same? And so then I find the dividends. Paul bore fruit in that city. The Bible says in verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, meaning he indicated he had believed. He had all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, doing what? Believing in God with all his house. What if Paul had decided no mercy today? So we had to. No. The man today would have perished, but instead, because he was merciful, not only did he receive momentary mercy in the washing of his stripes, how many think the Apostle Paul is pretty happy today in heaven with eternal rewards and dividends? Not only do we see the fruit that was immediate, but as he left that town, there was a future door that remained open. Lydia was there saved. The jailer was saved. Later, we'd have the church at Philippi. The reason I give us the final point is this. If we want fruit, we have to be faithful. If we want fruit, we have to be faithful. We can't get hard-hearted toward the lost who are hard toward us and expect to see them get saved. We must keep our hearts tender.